The following podcast is brought to you by XRE Art. XRE Art frames disassembled phones, handheld gaming consoles, and other electronics create cool discussion pieces for enthusiasts. Go to the link in the description and use the offer code BROKENSILICON to support the channel and save 10% off on your purchase. And it is also brought to you by CDKOffer.com. Use offer code BROKENSILICON for 25% off Windows codes and die shrink for 3% off everything on the website. All right, let's get to the show. Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom. You know, I, I say gaming hardware because sometimes we talk about consoles or, I mean, re- anything that you can use that's a computer to game. But today it's specifically going to be enthusiast desktop talk, I think, with this guest. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, Tom. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Wallace Santos. I'm the CEO and founder for Main Gear. Uh, also a hardcore enthusiast uh, for, you know, for decades now, <laughs> which is crazy, but uh, started the business when I was 18 years old. You know, I'd say especially lately, half of my guests are people that kind of reach out via email. They're like, oh, I'm someone that works on, you know, these types of FPGAs. Oh, you know, I'm someone who customizes these systems. And you were one of the people that reached out to Broken Silicon or or, or Alex did for you. I mean, what um what made you reach out? I'm always really curious, genuinely, about what makes someone either discover Moore's Laws Dead and even want to come on. I I'm personally a fan of your channel. I've been I think I ran across your channel a long time ago. Uh, you're around seven thousand subscribers, I believe. You're very small, but I, I really I thought your content and your approach was really interesting. Um and um and 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 just to be quite frankly honest, you were you're like spot on with some of the roadmap you're talking about, <laughs> and I'm like, wow, this guy knows what he's talking about. So I just I subscribed and I've been following you since. Uh, and then uh, internally here, uh, just speaking to my team, and they said, look, any any podcasts you want to get on, and I'm like, hey, why not? Uh, you know, why not Tom's? Let's uh, let's try more laws. Moore's law is dead. All right. So so you've been following me for a while. That's very cool. I'm gonna be honest too. When you reached out. I was like, oh, of course, I want to talk to someone, you know, who does what you do is in charge of a company that makes uh, gaming PCs. But I-, I was a little apprehensive. I was like, oh, no, I don't know if this is one of the good ones because <laughs> I've always <laughs> built my own PCs. And I'm going to be honest, Linus Tech Tips and Gamers Nexus have been really railing against half of these system integrators over the past two years. But as luck would have it, right when we locked it in that you were going to come on, Gamers Nexus put out a video where he said, you guys make decent PCs, so I was actually very relieved before I put out the reader mail requests for uh, people to write in from the Patreon for you. Oh, uh, oh, thank you. I guess <laughs> I, uh, um, you know, uh, also thank big God fan it's of a game- thank you. I wasn't sure if it was going to be before I looked you up. <laughs> uh, oh, well, I appreciate it. I, um, I'm a big fan of Steve as well, and you know, we were surprised uh, to actually see that video. I, I. I Guess I expected him to eventually buy a PC from us and and you know and go through his testing or through his methodology or through his review, but um, it was really good to see um, the the outcome. Uh, you know, we put a lot of uh, effort into everything that we do, right? Like, you know, I I, I truly do it because I'm passionate about it. Uh, you know, I'm a, I used to be a really hardcore PC gamer. Now I, I obviously I don't have as much time, but I I do still play PC games and. 
Um, you know, but before PC gaming, I'm also like a, a hardcore, like hardware enthusiast, right? I always, you know, loved just the, the hardware space in general, the enthusiast hardware space in general. Um, used to follow guys like Kyle from Hard OCP religiously back in the day. Mm. And um, funny enough, he he also had a um, a consumer, um, you know, an anonymous consumer buying program, which we passed with Flying Colors too at the time when we started our business. So, well, so now that we're going down this road, this is perfect. Like, where are you from? I mean, you can tell us as little or as much about your background as you want. You know, like, what did you did you go to college? What did, did you study? What did you study? What did you what what got? Where are you from? And what was the path to starting this company? Um, so I, I'll give you my full background. Uh, I was born in Brazil. My parents immigrated to the U.S. when I was two years old. And uh, the typical, you know, uh, you know, American dream story, right? Um, went to school in, uh, in a little town called Kearney, Kearney, New Jersey, right? I'm a New Jersey boy uh, all my life, pretty much. And um, after high school, I, uh, I went to, uh, to school for a networking, NSP, Networking Systems Professional. I, uh, I went to a school called Satone Institute. I think they're acquired by Lincoln Tech now. But uh, I didn't want to go down the college route. Um, for me, I didn't find it interesting um, at the time. I just really wanted to kind of perfect my craft at the time, which to me was networking. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then just go to work, right? Uh, that was my, my whole goal. So, um, you know, got my NSP, um, started a company uh, called Easy Tech. The idea was to... You know, well, let me, go, let me backtrack real quick. I, I couldn't find a job. I was too young. <laughs> so, so nobody would really hire me, right? So I'm like, you know what? I'll just start consulting. And started Easy Tech like in 2002, September of 2002. Within like two or three months, like I had a few of my friends, actually in friends and family, right? Like you know, call me up to you know, help set up their system or reformat mm-hmm. their system or like build them a PC. But my goal was always to like, you know, make enough money at the time, right? Mind you, I'm 18. Um, was to buy an Alienware at the time. <laughs> so I'm like, I just really want this really beautiful game PC. I, I looked up to those guys. And um, and the PC over Chris, I bought it over Christmas. Uh, UPS actually damaged the PC, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, let me not say UPS, the carrier. I don't remember who it was, if it was UPS or FedEx or whatever. The carrier damaged the PC on the way to me. And um, I called the company at the time and they, they like, they were giving me the runaround to get it fixed. Mm-hmm. You got it turned around so quickly, right? Like I, I just, I paid so much money that I saved up for this brand new gaming PC. And all of a sudden this, this thing arrives broke. Sure, it's not their fault, but I, my problem is not getting solved, you know, in, in, a, in a timely manner here. So um, I ended up taking it apart, right? Because I had, I had some experience building PCs, right? But I wasn't definitely not an expert. So I took it apart at the time the video card dislodged or whatever, damaged the motherboard. I swapped the motherboard out and I did some stuff to it and I got it up and running. But that was the catalyst. That was the thing that, that kind of like the light bulb went on in my head that said, wait a minute, you've built a few PCs for friends and family. You can do this shit. Like it's mm-hmm. totally cool. Like you can totally do it. So, um, I, um, you know, over, over the Christmas holiday, I, I ended up just like, you know, kind of jotting all my ideas down. Um, at the time, I you know talked to my partner, and we created a long list of names. I knew that obviously Easy Tech wouldn't work as a name for a brand, right? Um, you know, so I was always into like cool brands and stuff. And 
uh, that's how we came up with Main Gear. It was the one of the cool names that stood out for me uh, that kind of described the you know what what it is, right? It's your main gear. Um, and also the domain name was available, right? Like mainyear.com. <laughs> just it wasn't .com available. So I, I registered that, bought a ticket to CES, mm. and I um I I literally went to Vegas without knowing anyone, just to shake hands and say, well, I guess I gotta go to this show. Um at CES, my big break was uh, Leo Laporte. He was signing autographs. I don't know if you know who he is, but it was Leo Laporte and Patrick Norton. They had a show on the screensavers. It's called the screensaver. The screensavers on Tech TV at the time. And I was standing in line for like an hour to get his autograph. And I said, you know, once once it was finally my turn, I said, I don't want your autograph, Leo. <laughs> I actually want to get. You know, I, I built the world's best PCs. And mind you, I hadn't built shit at the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would love to gift you a PC, man. That's all I want to do. And he looked at me and said, kid, I don't need your PC or your money. But I'll tell you what. You send me a PC, I'm going to give it away on my TV, on my TV show. Hmm. Um, and I'm like, whoa. Even whoa. better. <laughs> Even better, right? He's like, yeah. yeah. I was like, how about, how, you know, basically he's, he, he extended his hand and he wanted to help me, right? And he said, um, uh, send it to my, you know, here's my card. He gave me his cell phone number, his email address. At the time, TV, you know, it was a big deal, right? Um, so I reached out to him, and he's like, yep, mail it here. And he got back to me, you know, right after CS or whatever. Like, here's the address to mail it to. Um, you know, it'll be in our show in X amount of weeks. But up until then, I still hadn't had, I didn't have a website. I didn't have, like, a proper product, you know, manuals. Like, I didn't have a, a method of actually shipping these PCs. I, was, I had to build a company in, like, in the fourth, like, I, I, let me just say, like, a month or two. So like I had a, you know, we registered a 1-800 number. That was such a big deal back then. So uh, I did all that, you know, basically worked almost 24-7 to, to make that happen, mm -hmm. to ship him the PC. So we ship him the PC. It airs in the screensavers. And we instantly get traffic. And we instantly start to get phone calls, like, of people wanting to buy PCs. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't pouring in. But like, we, all of a sudden, we have action. And I'll never forget my first customer. Uh, his name was Fred. I'm not going to say his last name because uh, out of respect for him. But my first customer, he called. Our first sale was a $4,000 computer mm. in 2003. And I never thought I would sell a PC that expensive. And I remember, like, I felt so uncomfortable getting this guy's credit card over the phone to charge him for this PC. I'm like, sir, can I, you know, can you? Give me your credit card. He's like, absolutely. So he just gives me his credit card. Mm -hmm. We process his order and we ship him his computer. So that was my first sale. It was very exciting. Uh, official sale, right? Like as a main gear brand. And uh, I'll never forget that one. So that's my story. Yeah, you know, let me change subjects here to, I think what might be an interesting question, because you've been, you know, the word, the, the, I looked at your LinkedIn profile before we started recording and I saw 2002 and that number stood out to me because that's 20 years ago. You know, yeah. like, so there's really been multiple eras of PC gaming you've seen, and I don't want to ask what's the difference between 2002 and now, because now is already, I think, a completely different era from 10 years ago. Like, what what, what stands out to you as the distinct differences in, like, the PC gaming, maybe culture, just space itself building a PC from 2002 to 2012, but then also 2012 to now? Um, so initially, at least when we started, um, you know, PC gaming was a new thing, right? Mm. Uh, it wasn't really 
you know, it was really done by modders and, and enthusiasts and like at home, right? It wasn't like, there wasn't like really a, a defined product category. Um, I believe like companies like Alienware, um, companies like Voodoo PC at the time and like Falcon, there's, those are the, the guys that mm -hmm. like were pretty much like the only ones at the time. Um, but, and then you had some like, you know, other companies that were selling, like they were trying to appeal to PC gamers um, and, and they're really defining the market because they're, they, they were growing so rapidly, but they're selling these like really funky looking systems, like these dragon heads and these alien heads. And, and in my opinion, they're like very immature looking systems. They're very, mm. it was almost, it looked like a toy. And I saw that as an opportunity because, um, you know, I always like clean aesthetics. Um, so like we, we, yeah, I never liked like the, you know, the, the crazy funky stuff that just looks like, uh, I don't know, like a dragon head on your desk. It just looks weird. Um, and, 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 you know, we thought there was a, there's a, a way to kind of like crack into the market by offering really clean, beautiful PCs that were, you know, that had automotive paint. And, and we, we were also one of the, the first to sell, um, a liquid cooled gaming PC. Now, um. It, we definitely didn't invent it, right? Just want to be clear about that. Um, you know, it was, these things were like mods that you would do at home, right? Um, so uh, I, I saw that as an opportunity to actually commercialize it. Like, can I, can I ship a liquid-cooled gaming PC? And at, in the beginning, it was very difficult. Like, there, we, we stumbled, man. I mean, we had to, we were shipping like aquarium pumps. Um, you know, we we're using like redline water wetter, like as a liquid. <laughs> you <laughs> like know, yeah, as, as someone who runs my own business and has sold things before quite a bit online, I can't imagine wanting to have to handle support for liquid <sighs> it, cooling, to be honest. It, it was, it was, it was like a nightmare. Um, but I was passionate and enthusiastic and, and I never wanted to give up on it because I, I, I felt like that was a really good way to, um, to cool a PC, right? Uh, I mean, we've even kind of gotten as far as selling at the time, AC Tech, they had this like compressor, like um, phase change system. We've even sold a phase change PC, which was kind of crazy a couple of times. But, um, you know, uh, that's kind of how we got going, man. Um, uh, you know, we, uh, we basically, we, were, we, we always tried to punch above our weight and, and really, you know, be innovative, right? As much as possible within our constraints. But so, so you're I, there's saying like, like early 2000s, it was there was less well defined what the idea of a high end, a low end, a mid range is. There are just tons of components, and they all typically costed a lot. It kind of sounds I, like I, I think most silicon manufacturers uh, really it, there wasn't like a strong business case for PC gaming. I think Nvidia is the only one that had like the initial vision. I would say mm -hmm. like I don't want to give them too much credit either, but like because it's it's obviously it's an effort that came from everyone, but I think they were the first ones to kind of like, you know, really acknowledge it and enable the, the ecosystem. And then, um, you know, so we saw like, you know, the first 10 years, there's this like maturity level and I guess this definition that happened of PC gaming, right? Um, and then Silicon manufacturers really started to take PC gaming seriously. And then, um, you know, the the next... 10 years after that, I think that's when the market matured. I think there was mm -hmm. a real market for it. I think that's when like Intel, for example, went from saying, we're going to cancel the desktop CPU <laughs> to oh, saying, yeah. to saying, holy crap, like 
we're gonna lose a ton of money if we cancel desktop CPU. Let's not let's not do that. The you know P enthusiasts in PC gaming is too important. So uh, and today it's 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 just like especially like after COVID, right? It, it's it's the, the growth was just explosive. I think it accelerated. Oh, for sure. What, where we should have been, you know, by at least five to six years, I would say. But um, yeah, it just matured. You know, um, and uh, and and you know, now it's it's our form of entertainment, right? No matter how old you are, it's not PC gaming is not just for a young gamer. I mean, everybody's a gamer. Like it's if you're 40, 50, 60, if you're 15, you know, or or if you're even like 10 years old, you're playing Roblox and stuff. So, um, it, it's just really, you know, I just feel really fortunate to be able to experience, you know, in the last two decades, like this, this process, right? This maturity process and, and just, you know, be part of the business, right? Be part of the, the space that's continually growing and evolving. You know, what's interesting too, is I remember when I, like a couple years ago, when the, my channel was really getting started and I started transitioning more from just like reactions and eventually minor, some types of leaks to also just kind of looking into the supply aspect, because I mean, that's been such an important part of <laughs> covering this space in the past, in the past year during COVID is just really supply volume, what's going on. And I remember when I started getting some people within the supply chain who were like, you know, leaking to me some of the numbers of like what's actually sold every month and and I remember talking to my brother, Dan, who's the co-host of every other episode of Broken Silicon. I was like, Dan, do you know how many cards are sold a year? And he's like, honestly, you could say any number. You could say 500,000. I'd be like, believe you. You could say 10 million. I'd be like, believe you. Like, I have no idea how niche this is. And I think like that's when we started learning. Like, no, like, like it's a bad GPU launch if they don't ship 200,000 or <laughs> like in the first week. And like they're shipping tens of millions a quarter. You know, I remember one study recently that pointed to the fact that the idea that like everyone has a console in it and then they get a gaming PC if they're lucky is kind of actually wrong. That most people have a PC they used to game with. And in Europe and the West, consoles are actually more of a boutique device to complement the gaming PC they already have. That I don't know if people realize that gaming on a PC is pretty much the standard now. Now, it's, I think there's two different very polarized types of gaming on a PC. There's people like me of a really nice one. And there's people that it's like, well, this was cheaper to build actually than a console. It's maybe not as strong, but it's what they could get their hands on. Yeah, I don't I don't remember it being that mainstream though before 2000. I mean, I think it really, you know, started becoming crazy mainstream in about 2010 and and they just kept accelerating from there. Yeah, yeah. Um I, I... You know, does it line up with when Twitch started to really become popular too? I think that's probably part of it. Yeah, I, th I think like the, you know, the being able to you know become like a streamer uh, and then other other you know fans looking up to it's almost like the the sports thing, right? You see Michael Jordan playing with the cool sneakers, right? Like you want to buy the same sneakers. I think that's kind of the you know what what happened, right? When like Twitch really took off, was people opened their eyes and say, "Well, I, I really can't do this with the console." Uh, or, or the, you know, I'm not gonna output the same quality, or I want to be just like, my, you know, my favorite streamer, right? And, and I think that's what happened. I remember, it's just ten years ago, there were plenty of games that didn't run well above sixty because they were targeting thirty on the consoles. You hit sixty on PC, they were like, well, let's double the consoles. What do you have to complain about? But now that sixty is the target on consoles, I've just oh, yeah. noticed that all games basically run well at 120 now, and now, which basically unlocks them to run even higher than that if you want it. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, most games are unlocked now, right? So, like, um, you're right. It's it's good for the industry, uh, and and clearly, right? It's it's just a better experience. That's at the end of the day. There were uh, so many people who only gamed on console that were like, "No, 30 frames is good enough." And then the second they got access to 60, they're like, "Yeah, we're wrong." Yeah. And, you know, and just again, I want to point this out. People forget Battlefield Two, one of the most popular online games, that literally couldn't go above 100. That was capped at 100. Mm-hmm, so there was mm-hmm. a long time where this was. There's quite there a was long like road a- coming. There's like either a patch or a hack that oh, enabled probably. you to to uncap it, from what I recall. <laughs> That's you know old school. So, TurboDuck.net writes in and he says, or I think it's TuboDuck.net says, "Hi Wallace and Tomit," and he says it's a very poor attempt at a Wallace and Gromit joke. <laughs> he says, "Well, so I don't remember all the outcomes except in Dell's case. Who could forget that?" What was your reaction to the series of secret shopper videos produced by Linus Tech Tips, both in terms of how main gear was represented and also your industry as a whole? Did you find the videos insightful, entertaining, embarrassing for your peers? How would you respond to Linus Tech Tips community who saw the videos if you haven't already? Um, you, you know, I, I think I think those, you know, that series, um, it, it's essential for the space, right? Um, I, I obviously, you know, we were perceived as doing really well, at least by from from what I read from the community. Um, I, I was definitely in the comment section of, of every video commenting, <laughs> saying, "Hey guys, I'm here. Let me know if you have any questions." But uh, um, you know, I, I think uh, LTT did a like a phenomenal job. Uh, you know, not just obviously reviewing the hardware, but um, also reviewing the full experience. Right? It doesn't end at the hardware level or at the product level it's you know the full experience is what happens when you when you need support you know what happens when you try to you know purchase the product or is is this company going to try to upsell me or scam me or or whatever so um you know it 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 was refreshing to see that happen again and you know those types of experience happened in the past like in in your typical uh, editorial venues but uh, it was great to see, uh, you know, the, the actual experience on YouTube. And, and never mind that it was super entertaining, right? It was, it was actually pretty awesome to watch. Now, mind you, like, you know, we're all over here on our side, like, holy crap, you know, what's going to happen? I hope the PC didn't get their damage. Yeah, I, bet, or I hope something, I'd be sweating you know, bullets. Yeah. Uh, I was sweating balls the whole pro- you know, throughout the whole process. But, um, you know, at the end, um, I was just really happy to see that, you know, my team performed really, really well. The product was really good. And more importantly, the community perceived us as as a good company. I think that's the most important part. And, and you know, and, and just to be clear too, man, like I know some of the other CEOs of the other companies, they're not bad guys. I think in some cases, you know, they might've gotten unlucky, right? But, um, you know, it was, it was, I think it's, a, it's an essential, an essential series. Uh, and I think a lot of companies made some adjustments after that as well uh, to their products or to, to their support or, or to whatever in their company to make sure that they offer a better product or better service. Well, you know, I, I skimmed the video to yesterday and I remember your PC, they thought was pretty well organized. They said generally good things uh, like you, you remember correctly. I do remember they said the SATA drive wasn't quite entirely plugged in but it was connected and so there wouldn't have been an issue and then but then they did say your support would have helped them so i will say though there was almost an issue but it wasn't you know close to some of the stuff like the dell one they could not solve the issue they had no idea what was wrong with the bios's firmware because they use a custom one and my real question here is what is going on though with some of the system integrators both i think a fair point to th- say with the way they're customized just lopsidedly 
and like how low the quality you know is like I, when i get i've never had a stick of kingston or g skill go bad you know and i think they're pretty well known for reliability especially kingston but i've had several oem pcs have the ram go bad you know what what is going on with like the corner cutting how the way they organize some things there's really five different ways i could attack this but i wonder if you have any insight into why some of these system integrators and oems make such a lower quality product than the others when they're not oh they, a lot of times they're cheaper but not always the reality is is it's, it's, it's a tough business to be in it's a low margin tough business to be in okay so um, companies, uh, in order to keep up um, or to keep, you know, their overhead, they're going to cut corners and they're going to want to sell more product and they're just going to want to push metal out the door. Um, that's an approach that I refuse to take. I've never taken. Um, we were always in it for the long haul. And, um, you know, we, we, we literally qualify everything that we sell. So there's a, there's a reason why when you go to my website, I don't offer a gazillion different configurations. They're, they're, they're very limited. Um, they're limited because we test everything. They're limited because I work with every single one of our partners to make sure that, you know, we're testing this stuff before it launches and that we're giving them feedback, debugging, et cetera. So, um, and there's a reason why we always do well in these, in, in, you know, in these, in these review roundups and stuff like that, because, you know, it's, it's, we're sticking to quality over quantity, right? Now, if you're in the business of pushing metal, it's going to happen to you, right? You're going to basically skimp on components. You're going to skimp on, you know, use the, the, you know, the, the crappiest power supply you can use because the consumer usually doesn't, or the regular mm -hmm. consumer, they don't, they don't even understand what a power supply is, so they won't know about what brand or what the components and using the power. Just know that you're buying 16 gigs of RAM with like, you know, uh, you know, uh, an RX or an RTX GPU with an Intel or an AMD CPU, right? That's kind of what they see. So, um, you know, it, it depends on, on, on how, you know, how you want to run your business. It depends on how these guys choose to be in business. And now in our case, we're, you know, we could have been a much bigger corporation much, you know, sooner by selling cheaper products and appealing to more people. Um, I, I, I refuse to do that. I, I'm going to sell what I think I would want to buy. Right. Uh, and so you do limit the amount of motherboards you let people choose from and stuff like that. And I say that because, again, this was like a decade ago. But I remember looking at one system integrator and they let me choose between like 20 motherboards and 10 different coolers. And I'm like, mm -hmm. this just seems like a logistical nightmare to offer this many different things to people. It's impossible to test all those combinations. When you mm -hmm. put 20 motherboards with like 10 different kits of RAM with like whatever, you know, 15 different GPUs. And, and when you, when you, when you look at different combinations and you actually like, you multiply everything, it, it goes into tens of thousands. Right. And it's, I, I'll tell you right now, it's impossible to test it. So you just have to kind of, you know, it's a, it's a numbers game at that point. Just say, you know, take your money, we'll build it and we'll ship it. <laughs> and there can be weird combinations. I remember during the Fermi era, my brother had 560 TI. SLI, or at least he tried to, and then he could not get the flickering issue in a few games to go away. Eventually, what he did, I found some scheme of like selling one or trading with cash for a 460, use that as a physics card until he can sell that by itself. Like we had a whole mm -hmm. way that we got him out of that situation. But I remember a few years later, I saw for his motherboard, I, I, want, I want to say it was an Asus, like the chipset in it, I believe it was 970 FX. It was, it was 970 something. 
And like it was the lo- just below the top end one, which I believe was the 990 back then for like a Phenom times four or a pile driver. And I remember they had just put out a patch that said on Asus like 970 motherboards with this graphics card SLI had flickering. And I'm like, <laughs> so we couldn't have solved it. We weren't crazy. There were two years where just if you had that chipset from that manufacturer with that graphics card, it flickered. And I was like, I fe- it felt terrible because I just felt bad for him. But I'm like, we weren't crazy, Dan. We really couldn't have fixed the problem. <laughs> they had to issue a BIOS update. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's and and things like that, right? That's another that's another beauty of being a, a smaller integrator is just that, you know, if we ran across an issue like that, we would immediately pause. Um, you know, or if we didn't catch in our labs, right? We would imme- immediately pause the sale of that of the of that board and you know qualify a different one and, and move from there. But look, there's things that happen. Like I said, it's a matter of how you support it. It's a matter of how you you test it before you sell it. It's pretty simple, man. So Kenahu twenty five writes in and he says, when you got started. I guess you've already said what your first big deal is, so I'll skip that part of it. But he says, what was the hardest PC components you were trying to get your hands on? Thanks for all the both of you do. So yeah, like before 2010, was was there issues getting certain components even re- at all comparable to now? Or, and like, what was the hardest ones for you to get in bulk or something? Uh, I mean, I didn't, I, you know, when we started, we didn't buy anything in bulk. <laughs> but, uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I don't recall... Um, having issues uh, what's you know let me quote unquote supply chain issues early on in in, in our in our business um, and, and plus like PC the enthusiast space wasn't this you know hotness that it is now right mm-hmm. so um, you know pretty much like paper launches were pretty rare um, mm-hmm. and um, and then you know if if we were selling something on our website we in the beginning we normally did not carry inventory because we just couldn't afford to carry inventory, right? We would normally take basically payment for the PC and we would go and buy the mm-hmm. components afterwards and then ship it out, right, within a reasonable time frame. Um, don't recall really having major problems acquiring uh, hardware in the beginning. It was, just, the it was a buyer's market back then. I mean, yeah. it was actually standard to my memory between like 2008 through 2013 to just a card comes out and you expect in a couple of weeks it's $20 below MSRP. <laughs> Yeah. Like that yeah. was just standard. You would expect that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Today's video is brought to you by CDKeyOffer.com. As I put together a new benchmarking station for 2022, I know that whether it's running Windows 10 or Windows 11, I will be getting that key from CDKeyOffer.com. And that's because it's a reliable, long term sponsor of Moore's Law is Dead that gets you reasonable prices on legitimate keys for these types of products but it's really not all that they offer they also can give you keys for microsoft office uh keys for playstation codes and even some of the latest pc releases like elden ring a game that i enjoying quite a bit whatever you need cd key offer probably has you covered and they're always running sales but make sure you use the best code possible and that's the ones provided for the moore's law is dead fans moore's law is dead fans get the biggest discount and if you go to the link on screen or in the description you can use code broken silicon to get 25 percent off microsoft products and dyshring to get three percent off everything else on the website using these codes really does help moore's law is dead and it helps you play reasonable prices for games that you want in keys that frankly you just have to use half of the time so again use the link in the description use broken silicon use dyshring depending on the products you're getting and pay reasonable prices for keys today at cdkeyoffer.com 
Well, so tell me what it's been like uh, during the recent shortages for your company, because like a question that I like to ask is, you know, we had, you know, increasing demand for these types of products under COVID. And then we had kind of like a weird paper launch. I would argue, I, I argued for literally fake launch with Ampere, all these delayed paper launches all over the place. And then a mining boom at the same time as silicon shortages. It was really a perfect storm. When did you notice the market was truly in trouble for supply? Because it actually wasn't right away for most components. Like, when did you notice, oh, we, we're going to have a huge issue here? Um, I noticed when there was an issue when FOMO started to happen. Like, our vendors and our distributors, mm-hmm. they were saying, hey, buy product because, you know, there's, there's unprecedented demand. Um, and, and it sucks because that causes even more issues, right? Like <laughs> when, when, when you have all these companies like trying to buy as much product as they can afford to stock on their shelves because there's a crazy demand, it's going to screw up the supply chain because now everybody's freaking out, right? So like, you know, I, I, that happened like shortly after, man, like after the lockdown, the lockdowns, like, you know, we immediately saw like a rise in sales within like the first month of the mm-hmm. lockdown. Right. I think I think it was right around when people started to get the the government checks, the subsidy checks. Um, you know, and it makes sense, right? People are stuck at home, can't leave your home. Like, how the hell are you gonna entertain yourself besides, you know, your television? It's especially it's during the winter, right? You can't travel. I did say that. Like I understand why this is happening, cause because I think a lot of people tried to blame a lot of different, most of it was people were just willing to pay more. And if there was ever a time to overpay for a gaming device, it's when you're literally stuck inside during an unprecedented or almost unprecedented, at least for the past few decades, pandemic. Like why this is the time to overpay. I mean, what else are you going to do? What are you going to do, right? Like if you, if you really need some entertainment or if you need to communicate with the world or if you need some access to the outside world, right, through a PC, you're going to buy what's available at whatever price it's available if you can, that you can afford. So um, that that happened like rather soon, man. Um, right, like not not long after the lockdowns, we started to see just like shortages, and all of a sudden, there's rumors about like you know like there's not enough you know containers arriving in the U.S. Right, and then and that the rumors turned out to be true. Um, you know, then then we had some issues like you know we ship you know our chassis get assembled in China, right? Like yeah, the bare chassis, um, and then we. We, you know, our chassis were delayed and I'm like, shit, how do we, mm-hmm. how do we solve this problem? Right. And in my mind, you like, we're not this like ginormous corporation. Like we're, you know, we're small compared to a lot of these big guys. And, um, so we, we had to kind of like deal with all that. And then on top of all that, we had, you know, COVID itself. Like, how do we, how do we deal with the situation where like people don't want to be next to each other? Mm-hmm. Right. How, how, how can you tell people to go to work? So, um. And, and, and for me personally, combine all that, my baby was born in March of mm-hmm. 2020. So like it was my first child, right? So like I'm freaking out, man. Like I just put a kid in this world and like, you know, my, the business, there's like supply chain issues and like, how do, how do you solve this problem? So, you know, um, we just, you know, we're one of those companies where we didn't let anyone go. Like I had zero, I, did, I said, you know, we're going to stick by you guys just like you stuck by us and we didn't let anyone go during that time um everybody kept their jobs and uh, we said you know we're gonna shut down whenever the government tells us to shut down 
if if you know if they don't tell us if they don't deem us an essential business then it is what it is but uh i hope that we stay open and and you know it turns out that the state of new jersey actually did a really good job um they they kept us open um and um and we kind of worked through it so i guess I'm wondering, though, if you saw sh- what shifts you saw as the pandemic started. I'm guessing at first you were just getting more orders, probably of the typical stuff, right? But did you see them accelerate into certain types of PCs? Like, did they become more and more high end towards the end of it? Or like, I wonder if, how you saw trends change over this. And, and just when it comes to the shortages in general, I just, I know they were getting, they were happening before the launch of like Ampere and RDNA too, but... There was this, even late into the year, you could get some things. I don't really feel like it, it was until 2021 that we really saw just prices double on everything. Yeah, uh, but actually, the, the, our, our ISPs definitely didn't go higher during that moment. It, it, it pretty much stabilized. Um, it, it was about the same uh, throughout, throughout the year. And, um, you know, we, we, obviously we had the occasional customers that would call in and 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 basically buy whatever we can ship the fastest. Mm-hmm. So if they have to spend more money to you know, and we had people call in to and offering us to give us more money for parts and can we can you get it to me sooner? Can I cut the line? And um, you know, it, it was one of those moments where I, I had a really you know a serious conversation with my team. I said, guys, you know, especially my sales team, I said, if you are opportunistic, if we act opportunistic during these times. We will be out of business when we get out of COVID. I'll tell you that right now. Now, is it just a worry of a change of culture or or that people would hold you accountable for it or that you would just get drunk on the wrong type of revenue? Uh, everything, right? Like, I think, you know, people are not dumb, man. Like, they, they remember, right? Like, if you if you gouge someone for something or if you act in an opportunistic manner, they're not gonna. You know, they're not gonna stand by you forever. They're gonna say this guy, you know, took advantage of me while he or this company took advantage of me while they could, right? So screw them. So um, you know, our goal was to just do our thing, right? Just do what we normally do. You know, we we have our margins that we normally go by. We need to, you know, we need to obviously keep our overhead going, um, and uh, and let's not be opportunistic during these times here, and let's let's make sure that we support the people that always supported us. And uh, we just, we literally did not change anything. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that changed was pricing, <laughs> like pricing to us, right? Like we, we held our prices steady until we depleted the, the inventory at the prices that we bought it for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was never changed. But then obviously, you know, we're purchasing from distribution. We're purchasing from, from vendors. Um, and uh, their pricing started to go up, you know. Uh, and, uh, and that's kind of, we, we just had to continue to, you know, keep the margins where they are so we can stay in business. Yeah, I think but, I think there's something to remember that people remember, they may not feel like they've been taken advantage of initially. It's like, I know a lot of people that just buckled and bought like a 6,700 XT for $1,000 and really that shouldn't be any more than 500. Yeah. And they were like, well, I had to, I just want to play my games. This is usually mm-hmm. a lot of people just gave up mid 2021. But then a lot of people kind of have done that recently. Not Not as many as before. I think people are becoming scared to buy anything right now but what i've heard from my contacts at micro centers they're just getting mass returns and it's like you know if you would have sold it for 10 percent above msrp they wouldn't have returned it they would have been like eh, i paid over market but not that much but i think a lot of people who paid 
double, they're like, yeah, I'm not holding on to this for $1,000. Now, to be fair, though, to the people at Micro Center, I know that almost every graphics card sold from there was only about $20 to $30 above what they paid for it. So I know you may have paid $1,000 for a 6700 XT, but they paid $970 to get it to the store. That, that's exactly what I was going to tell you. I was going to say, like, they're... Yeah. They definitely, um, and, and I work for, they're a very good partner of ours. They definitely, they definitely did not gouge their customers and they were probably making close to nothing per GPU, especially when you, you know, when, mm -hmm. when it's $970 yeah, I'm not, I'm on not their pocket. Yeah, Micro Center, but yeah. it is. They're a very fair company. But uh, it, it sucks because, uh, you know, not only Micro Center, everybody was paying that much um, yep. for, for components, right? Um, and, and obviously, mining didn't help either right or mining doesn't help right like when when uh there's shortages of gpus and and there's you know rich miners that can that would pay whatever to keep their businesses afloat um it, it screws the market up a little bit well what do you think about like nvidia just literally doing 40 million dollar deals with billion dollar mining firms in china and direct shipping them there because I got to say, the mom and pop shop that sells one GPU out the door here and there. And I know a couple other people that work at System Integrators. And he said, one guy said he had a guy show up in like a Corvette and said, I will pay you $1,000 or 20% above what you're selling them for if you can just give me 100 GPUs. And he said no, because he wants to keep, like you, his customer base going. But I, the major issue isn't the guy apparently, who has a Corvette and 100 GPUs in his garage. The problem is the mining firm writing their own BIOSes, hacking the cards immediately, and NVIDIA directly supplying them with like $40 million worth of GPUs direct from the factory. Every one of those dies could have been a gaming card. I mean, like, I wonder what you think about that. I, you know, I really can't intelligently comment on that specific, uh, you know, question because I, I don't know. I can't confirm that they did something like that. But I, I can tell you that I have personally well, I'll put met... it in the description, though. Oh, it's $30 million to correct myself. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, uh, if, at the end of the day, that's like a bleep in the radar for them, but in terms of sales, right? But, um, you know, uh, but that I is, can't... But that is $30 million if you... And I did the math for one of my videos where I reverse-engineered likely how many cards that is. That is like an entire quarter's worth of shipments to like one region for a mid-range card is what just went to a mining factory instead. Possibly, man. I, I honestly, I, like I said, I can't intelligently speak to that or, or to, uh, as to why they did it. And, and, and I'm not defending uh, any silicon manufacturer in here. I'm just saying like it is, right? I've personally met, you know, the CEO of NVIDIA, Jensen. I've personally been to his home. Um, mm. And I can tell you that did you Did you see the spatula room? The spatula room. What spatula? The one he does all of his presentations from in front of the oven with a bunch of spatulas in the background. That's fake. That's mm -hmm. not his real one. Looks close to that, but the one that you see the presentations that's actually all digitally rendered. What I've heard um, is that's actually based on one of his guest houses. It, I was it, wondering if you you could confirm. It's based that. on. I I I do recall. Actually, I think I have it on my Instagram. I have a video where like him and Fisher like making some mojitos for us or something like that. But what what I what I was trying to say is just that the the dude is really. Uh, he deeply cares about our space. I mean, so much that like he flew all the you know system integrators to his house to have a chat, a fireside chat, which was insane. Like you, you would think a guy like that would fly the CEOs of like HP, Dell, and whatever, right? But instead, he he flew out, you know, small system integrators to just have a conversation, which was cool. So, um, you know, at least to me, he comes across as a person that that really gives a crap about the space. 
um, and, 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 you know, that shows through their support. And I, same, same goes to AMD. Same goes to Intel. Like, Intel has the board of advisors where I'm part of it. And, and literally, we're talking about the enthusiast space every quarter. We're you're having a face-to-face. And, um, and obviously, like, for example, like, look at their latest 12th gen launch, right? Like, where they did all these gaming events. Like, they're committed. It seems like they really care about the community. And um, it's just great to see, man. And obviously, AMD is just, you know, AMD is gaming, right? Look, they're in every single console. And, and, and Lisa Sue, she's a brilliant engineer. And um, so everybody's coming together. I, I don't think any, any of us or any of these silicon manufacturers are, you know, let's say they don't care about the gamers, right? It's, it's got quite the opposite. I think they do. Well, I mean, they're a business. They want to make money. I, 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 and, and we can move on from it if you want to, but I do have to point out. So he flew you to his place to have a fireside chat and then at the same time sold 30 million cards to miners. You, know, I, I, you do I, see I my point, if, though, right? I, I, I don't know if he did that, but okay, <laughs> let's move on from here. No, 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 that's fair. Um, but one point I had here, though, is I knew a lot of people at the time that were saying and recommending to just buy pre-built to get a hold of the graphics cards. Did you? So it sounds like you had a lot of calls then, though, where they literally called your company and said, hey, man, can you just sell me a card directly? And it, you just mandated we're going to keep doing the same business we're doing. That's correct. We've we had tons of people calling in and asking to buy GPUs directly, and you know, uh, we need to take care of our customers. I mean, we, that's what we sell PCs, not GPUs. Chris Rich writes in and he says, "Hi, Wallace. Apart from customer demand and sales, what determines which CPUs and GPUs you offer? I see that most of your pre-builds come with AMD CPUs, which is somewhat atypical for a system in- integrator." He goes, "Did you switch from Intel?" Did the switch from Intel to AMD surprise you? I guess, did the decision you made to do that surprise you? You had to do it? I, I guess that's the question, really. And what trends are you currently seeing? How many? How much interest is there for Intel GPUs? <laughs> that's a different question. And I guess, so I guess he's saying, when did that switch happen to providing a lot of Zen CPUs instead of Intel? What made you decide to do that? And has that changed recently with like Alder Lake's release? Um, so... Uh, I, I'm assuming he's speaking about the the pre-configured systems, um, you know, because those are static those are static configurations that ship within a, mm-hmm. you know within a quick time frame. Like the standard uh, one, yeah. That you'd recommend. Yeah. So like we don't have any specific deals with the silicon manufacturers to carry a certain amount or sell a certain amount of of anything. Uh, configurations are literally determined by us and uh, and our customers, right? And meaning. If, you know, we, we look at every price point, right? And we look at every price point uh, for each configuration and we ship the best hardware that fits that price point, that adds the best, the most amount of value to our customers. Now, um, and then also based on customer data and demand, right? So like we keep, you know, we keep the, the analytics on everything that we sell and, and we look at the market and we say like, what's, what's the most popular of something, right? Uh, we look at that, we look at price points, we look at performance, and obviously, we qualify everything. So, um, you know, uh, AMD just made a lot of sense uh, in our pre-configured systems. Um, now that Intel 12th gen is around, um, you know, there, there might be some, you know, some Intel mixed in there too. But um, we, you know, we basically ship what we think is the best in our pre-configured systems. Now, if there's, you know, if you want something very specific, we offer customized systems, right? Where you can go and customize your computer to your liking and you can mix and match whatever you want. But, uh, so there's like a combination of, 
of criterias and, and, and there's, there's a certain amount of data that we look at for us to come up with those configurations. It's not just out of the blue and it's definitely not because of any type of deal or anything like that. Um, that's just how we do it. Well, so I'm really curious though, cause, cause this type of like discussion about like mind share and popularity fascinates mm. me because at least before I started this channel, one thing that I would often argue about in the Tom's uh, hardware forums and stuff is just like, I couldn't believe there'd always be these products like this one here is clearly better. And yet twice as many people are buying this one. Like, and I think a lot of it is mind share, you know, like what people perceive is the best is different sometimes than what's the best. I'm guessing when Zen, and I don't know if you remember exactly, but I'm guessing when Zen first came out, it wasn't like immediate that everyone wanted AMD as much as Intel or something, right? Or like when did that start second, happening? The second gen, Zen, I think Zen 2, uh, is when it was clear that AMD, you know, they were strong, right? They're offering a, a strong competition. Um, and, and also based on the reviews, right? You just had to look at just just read the reviews like literally watch channels on YouTube and 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 read all, every review you know from known publications um you you'll see right like the, this is clearly be, you know x is better than z in certain ways right uh and um you know and then obviously it goes by us too like we we look at we look at the each individual component and we say what what would i want at a certain price point like what? What do we think makes sense? And that's kind of how we determine, you know, what to sell. But you see, this is what interests me too, because I remember, again, you know, if you wanted the strongest, specifically only for gaming CPU in like 2018, you know, 9900K was the fastest one. It was, but it was the top one. And if you went down the stack, oftentimes, I mean, AMD was literally. I remember doing one of my first videos about it like the point i made was the fact that the 2700x is even being compared to the 9900k is absurd it's like 20 percent weaker for less than half the price it'd be like comparing you know i get what did i say back then it, I, it was like it'd be like comparing you know like a 3070 to a 38 a 3080 ti the price difference the like these are just different tiers like so i do feel like there was kind of this like rolling momentum that had to catch up I'm wondering, though, because when I talk to people now, AMD has a lot of clout. Like, people say, I want an AMD laptop. I want an AMD system. Has that, and I guess I don't know, I'm guessing you don't have, like, the percentage of sales up in front of you, but it's like, are you seeing a shift happening back to Intel that's, like, really big? Because I'll say it, I'm not afraid to. I think Alder Lake, Intel's current generation, is the one to get for most people right now. I think that's that might change later this year, but I think Intel is finally swung back are you seeing a big shift or is it still about the proportion of where it was about a year ago between amd to intel um intel is definitely you know gaining market share again that lost market share um you know to your you know first part of your question where you talked about like um you know people trusting amd i think there was a period where people had to learn to trust amd again Right, mm -hmm. where they had to, you know, where, where consumer confidence had to build up. And, you know, it started with the, you know, the first generation where AMD clearly showed value in the architecture. But for the longest time, they didn't compete mm -hmm. with Intel, right? It just didn't make any sense. So for like years, 
you know, uh, I remember where, like where people uh, like were were like uh, saying that Intel was suffering a case of in, in, in incrementalism. I believe that was the thing because they they kept on moving at mm -hmm. a slow pace because they didn't have to move, right? The decade so, of quad cores that are five percent better every year. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, uh, but but if you think about it from a business standpoint, that's that they did what they had to do uh, because they, there was no competition. So um, when AMD launched, you know, first gen Ryzen, I think that you know. Like people are like, wow, it didn't didn't really necessarily do a clean sweep, but this is really good value, right? There's a lot more cores for the money. Um, there's no crazy issues. Um, you know, you know, the chipsets are solid. Um, and then like when Ryzen two came out, people are like, whoa, whoa. I mean, they closed that gap now. Now I'm I'm not only getting more cores, but now the frequency gap has been closed, right? The the knobs were adjusted where the frequency can scale a bit more. So, um, and, and that's when the really positive review started to come out. And, and then obviously that's when we started to see more and more demand, uh, for AMD CPUs. But for the longest time, like it, you know, it was mostly Intel. Before and, that. and how does it look for GPUs? Because it's funny, I was talking to Steve from Hardware Unboxed a few months ago about this. And I think me and him were kind of coming to the same conclusion that, well, Radeon GPUs definitely are well regarded at this point in the enthusiast space compared to where they were, I don't know, five years ago. You know, I had someone install Google Fiber here. I was very excited about that. And he actually seemed to know a lot about PCs. Like he knew pretty specific hardware specs. We were talking about it. And his question was, yeah, do you know, so do you know like what the 4080, the 4070 is going to be like? And I'm like, are you at all interested in the 7800 XT? And mm. he's like, oh, I don't even really know what that is. So it's like even a lot of enthusiasm, I think, I think we underestimate how much mindshare NVIDIA actually has. Like, and, and like, what are you seeing that change at all with RDNA 2? Because that was a huge change in how competitive Radeon was. Compared yeah, to previous gens. definitely. And, and, you know, RDNA 2, it, it's a good product, right? At the end of the day, it's really, it's a really good product. So, um, it's kind of like the CPU, right? Like it's going to take some time before consumer confidence builds up, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, across the board meaning, um, and, um, you know, whatever they have coming up next, I'm sure will be great. Uh, and also the console story is really good. I think, I think a lot of people, I think, you know, the fact that they keep on reinstating that they're in every single console or major console, mm -hmm. um, is an important one too. Right. So, um, I, I think they're fine tuning their marketing. Uh, and I think, and I think, um, you know, we definitely see an improvement from, from the first gen and, uh, looking forward to their next generation. So a question I want to bring up here, it's just kind of like, the GPUs that system integrators, and if you have any insight to how it works at OEMs as well, like where the pricing comes from, because I, I was looking at your configurator and I saw that the difference in pricing between the graphics cards is pretty much what you would expect, like what the 3060, I don't know, seems to like you add a hundred bucks or 150 bucks on top of it or something to go from a 3050. And you know, you look at the 6900 XT Liquid Cool, it's a little cheaper than a 3090 Ti. All that makes sense to me. But every now and then there is something that differs. Like the 6800 is way, seems a lot more expensive than in the do-it-yourself market. And the 3050 specifically, now I, I don't know if it's because it's the base system, so there's something going on with that, but it does seem like from when I talk to people, like the 3050 is significantly cheaper 
for OEM. So I just don't know how much insight, and we had a couple of reader mails about it. I'm kind of condensing a few of them. Um, like where some of this pricing comes from, because sometimes it seems to be one-to-one with what's in the do-it-yourself space if you were buying it yourself. And sometimes it seems like there are some graphics cards that are clearly for OEMs, like the 3060 Ti and the 3050. I don't know how much insight you can give into like how that pricing works. It's literally determined uh, by the add-in board partner or the distributor that I'm buying from. Mm-hmm. So I, I, there's a, a it's, it doesn't get any clearer, any simpler than this. Like I literally, I buy for $1 and I need to add my margin so I can sell it on top mm-hmm. of that. Right. So if it costs me, if that GPU costs me 900 bucks, I'm going to, I'm going to put on my, my, my margin so I can stay in business. Right. And, and I'm going to sell it. So, um, you know, it, it, it's basically the market, right? Um, there's, there's no other explanation about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now on your website, I'm just curious, like it shows like, you know, a box for a 3070, a box for a 6800 XT. Mm-hmm. Like, are these all founders editions of the graphics cards or like, is there like a standard like MSI Asus or something you use? Like when someone clicks the 3060 bubble, are they going to get an MSI or an Asus or is it always a founders? Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's going to be most, mostly founders, um, you know, but we, we're a mix, right? Uh, obviously the reason why we don't specify exactly which GPUs mm-hmm. is, is there, um, it's just because of the, the environment, right? I, there's no way that I can guarantee you, you're going to get a founders, you know, and, and, or, or a specific GPU or an EVGA one or, or something. an EVGA, um, you know, like we do qualify every single GPU. So like we'll qualify every single add-in board partner that we can buy. And mm-hmm. uh, if the airflow works, if the, you know, the weight of the GPU also works, everything else, you know, meets our criteria, it'll be added to the bucket, right? But, um, you know, uh, on the AMD side, there's no more uh, reference designs, right? So it's mostly, uh, it's mostly add-in, add-in, add-in board partner designs. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's just, like I said, it's a mix. Yeah. Yeah. I know that AMD, I think it seems like they're saving a lot of their reference designs for those drops they do on Thursdays from AMD.com. For the most part, it's all migrating to AIB at this point. Um, well, so let, let me ask you this question here, switching gears to a different type of product you sell. Queen Sweep writes in and he says, Hey, Tom and Wallace, first, congrats to Main Gear for getting a positive review from Gamers Nexus from one of their pre built videos. Second, what was it like to work with Intel and AMD on your laptops? I didn't even know they existed until I looked at your page again recently, and they seem to offer a strong price performance in the current market. And I think there are a few laptop questions here because it is different than specking out a desktop from a system integrator. Like, how did you start working on laptops? How did you select which ones you were going to carry as standard? How did that even work? Yeah, the laptop game is much different than, than obviously, than we're all used to, right? Um, really our first serious laptop design was, well, well, first of all, thanks for the Gamer Nexus uh, comment. (laughs) I appreciate that. Uh, but you know, our our laptop business really took off, uh, when we did our first design, which was with the Intel Queens County. Um, that was a project, um, even though it was open up to other SIs that actually came from me within the board of advisors. I'm part of the Intel board of advisors and I presented the case uh, for Intel to help us design a laptop. Uh, for your readers, if they don't know, like a laptop design can cost millions of dollars. And I, I just don't, you know, most companies my size just won't sell enough product to cover those costs. 
right? So we need to work with partners. We need to work with ODMs. We need to work or get as much help as we can to actually, you know, uh, work on these notebooks, right? So, and we need to share the, share the designs. So that's why you'll see like, you know, for example, Queens County, like you saw other, other competitors of ours carry the same notebook. Um, it's because, you know, it was a shared design we had to share with them, right? But uh, just to be clear, that one, that one specifically uh, came from me within the Intel Board of Advisors. Uh, and then the Intel said, look, we're gonna, we're gonna definitely support this project, but we're gonna have to open it up to other guys so we can make our money back because they, they made the investment, right? So, um, you know, uh, for, for notebooks, um, there's, there's a series of complications, right? Um, first of all, like aligning with the roadmap, with the, with the silicon manufacturer's roadmap is one thing. Then you have everything else that's out of our control, right? Like you mm -hmm. have, you know, somebody else essentially is building the product in, you know, in Taiwan or China or whatever. Uh, so it's like, uh, you, you know, you, 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 we try to control the quality as best as we can and qualify the best components we can inside our notebooks. That's, that's what it is at the end of the day. Yeah, and I'm looking, you do carry AMD notebooks. I'm just wondering if there was any, I guess you kind of worked through someone, I forgot the word for it, someone else who's kind of like the basis of the laptop, then you work with them what needs to be on it to become a main gear laptop. Is, is there any difference in like preparing a standard Intel laptop to a standard AMD one, or was it kind of the same process for you from where you were in the chain? It's, it's the same process. Like we'll, we'll work with AMD. Um, and obviously it's when AMD came up with, you know, their, their, their chips were very competitive and, and got reviewed really, really well. I think the first design that came out was, I think it was Asus and like it got praised everywhere, but, um, it's the same process, right? You know, AMD will work with uh, with the ODM in China, and 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 us. ODM is the word, yeah. Yeah, and then we'll uh, we'll um, you know, we'll basically start the design process and the feedback process and 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 the planning. Uh, it's just like a a much longer road <laughs> mm -hmm. for us to get a notebook off the ground, and 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 it doesn't always pay off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I but, know. But, I, but these I've have been like... very successful. Just you know. For the AMD designs have been very successful, specifically at Micro Center. They're selling very, very well. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And I mean, again, you know, Intel it actually still is a little bit to go in terms of the efficiency side of their laptops. Alder Lake still only seems to win if you clock it really fastly um, for a laptop chip. But I have been told by people who work at Best Buy as well that the AMD variants of their Asus laptops, they just can't, they can't keep them in stock. Like, <laughs> you know, for a long time, I, I do think people just call up and say, I want an AMD laptop. Um, but Beefish writes in, he says, hi, Wallace and Tom. My question is around the laptop space and working with Tong Fang, now Uniwill, I think. But he says, how much customization do you do? How do you differentiate your products from, say, electronics, who appear to have similar offerings, but with a small, a different retail model? Did they ever consult with you in the product development phase? And how much market research did you do in the laptop space around consumer demand, specs, and features? Like, I've seen XMG be very active on Reddit and soliciting consumer feedback. Yeah, we work very closely. So Tsang Fang is one of our ODMs, right? Mm -hmm. um, and... and we clearly, we have to work very closely with them. We just don't buy the final product here in the US and, and slap our logo on it. It doesn't, I think some companies do that, but you can mm -hmm. tell by the actual, um, if you look at the notebook and you can tell by the actual unboxing experience, right? Like if a notebook is shipped to you in a like, you know, cardboard box and like the bottom sticker says, just doesn't say the company name. And you know, <laughs> yeah. you, you can tell that they just bought it and put it like a sticker on it and sold it to you. But um, in, in our case, uh, because of the volumes that we've been shipping lately, 
Um, and ever since, you know, really Queens County was a, the notebook that kind of defined our notebook roadmap or, or notebook success, I would say. Um, we've been working very closely with, with the ODMs to make sure that we qualify, we design, you know, feedback, et cetera. So sort of a transition question between the laptop subject to a new one. Mustang 3060 Ty writes in and he says, as an avid fan of gaming laptops, I feel like it kind of sucks that we're always constrained by thermal temperatures. The laws of physics can be a bitch. <laughs> he says, it's quite clear that as GPUs get more powerful, TDP also tends to increase. How challenging do you think it will be to cool high-end laptops, especially considering the next gen of GPUs is expected to have a significantly a significant increase in power consumption? So, um, it, you know, I don't know if that statement of TDPs always, uh, you know, on the rise is necessarily true. Uh, if you look at, you know, different generations, like you'll have, um, you'll have like notebooks that, you know, that the TDP was lowered, you know, whenever the node, the node process dropped, right. Or, or, or improved. Um, but, you know, essentially like. The notebook, um, it's it's you have to view it as a package. You can't mm -hmm. view it as just the TDP and the GPU, right? Don't forget that you know the note, the, the you know the note, the, the manufacturing process improves on the CPU as well, right? And on the chipset. So like overall, um, you have you know power consumption or or, or you know savings there. And, so you're saying and, like the chipset has a reduced power consumption. The SSDs keep getting more efficient, so maybe there's just excess room uh, now. Exactly. Exactly. So like, um, you know, a as a whole, um, you, you look at it as a package and then that's how you design a notebook and you say, okay, so if I have, uh, I don't know, uh, 800 watts, uh, you know, GPU and a, and a 50 watts, you know, CPU, then maybe we can bump the GPU up, you know, a couple more watts. Right. Mm -hmm. And then like, you kind of balance it out that way to, to essentially achieve what you want to achieve, which, you know, for mostly what we've, what we've noticed is that gamers really keep their notebooks plugged in right? Mm -hmm. uh, when they're gaming. So they, you know, battery life is less of a concern than what you would probably would think. Um, and, you know, so there's, there's a lot of variables that, 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 that are involved when designing a notebook. And um, I, I wouldn't agree that, you know, uh, power consumption is going to keep on going on the rise. Um, now it, it, it might, that might be a fact for desktop. Sure. Mm -hmm. Because, because we have, we have the, the thermal headroom on the desktop. We have the power, enough power, right? As long as your socket can, can supply enough juice to, to the product you're plugging in. So let's design what, you know, the best performing product for that. So like power concerns are much less uh, on the desktop side. But um, I, you know, I, don't, I don't think notebooks are going to continue to you know, go up in power. Yeah, I, I've got to say that I, ju I just think there is a difference between you know, what, what NVIDIA specifically, and a little bit, AMD is going to do with their TDPs next generation relative with laptop and desktop because i think there's no way around it i mean a 65 watt limit is a 65 watt limit for a mid-range you know laptop gpu and i know nvidia is moving to five or even four nanometer for lovelace so i mean there's no way around it over samsung's eight nanometer that i think you can expect them to have at least 50 percent higher efficiency which means at least 50 percent higher performance in every tier in laptops by early next year in desktop i think some people hear that and they're like oh they're gonna have like 50% higher efficiency, probably better than that, actually. Uh, and that means that if they have like a 500 watt GPU, it must be like three times stronger. And it's like, no, it's 50% if it's in the right 
you know, efficiency curve. On desktop, that extra 200 watts might only add 20% more performance or something like that. But I, 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 that is something I want to talk about here. That's why I said that was a transitional question. Like, I, I'm I'm confident, you know, that I'm, I'd say this, I'm 100% confident the RTX 4090 is going to use at least 400 watts. Now, am I 100% confident it'll use 600? No, I kind of doubt that actually. But I think it's going to be between 450 and 600 most likely. And I think AMD is aiming for about 400 watts for their top car, between 375 and 450. So not as crazy as NVIDIA, but, you know, like Vega liquid amounts of power. I wonder if you have any thoughts for your pre-built systems about just specifically, like, let's just say it's a 500 watt card. Like, if you have any thoughts about, like, how you'll handle that, if it will present any challenges to your, you know, pre-built desktops or what. Yeah, I, I definitely cannot confirm or deny anything uh, concerning, you know, future uh, products that are... You probably could companies. if you really wanted to, but go on, because they talk I, to you, but I, go on. I, I, definitely, I definitely cannot, but um, uh, what I can tell you is I, um, you know, we work very closely, and that's one of the reasons why it's important to work very closely with the silicon manufacturers, to make sure that we are ready uh, and time to market with their latest and greatest, right? So, like... You know, sizes will vary, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, power consumption will vary, heat dissipation will vary. And um, it's 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 very rare that, you know, that a surprise product pops up without mm-hmm. us knowing that it will pop up. Because that'd be and stupid. Not, no company would do it. that. Right. Like NVIDIA yeah. wouldn't launch a 500 watt card and be like, surprise, like they're going to let you know way ahead of time so you can make sure your systems are spec'd out correctly. You'd be surprised, but, <laughs> oh, okay. but, uh, uh, but, uh, um, you know, there are corner cases, right? But yeah, for the most part, like, you know, uh, you know, everyone does a, a really good job to make sure that, you know, the system integrators and the OEMs are ready, um, to make sure that, you know, their product is for sale day one. Yeah. I mean, there's already like 500 watt RTX 3090 TIs with air cooling. Granted, they're like twice as thick as a normal card. But it works, so we know they can do it with the right design. I'm wondering, though, if you guys have put any thought or testing into, like, where you would become concerned. Obviously, I don't think a company would launch something they don't think they could do well. But, like, I wonder, like, because for me, I'm, I, my guess is the limit is about 500 to 600 watts. Like, what I don't like, – there are these rumors of 800-watt cards, and I just said, no, it's not how thermodynamics works. Like, but I am wondering if you guys have put thought into at what level you would have to fundamentally change how you organize a case or something. Because they're already built to cool probably far more than what they can already yeah. cool. But, like, I wonder what level would you – and feel free to just say, say you know, say a 1,000. I don't know. Like, I wonder at what level you would really worry. Um, I mean, I think, you know, we have to give them a little bit more credit than that. I think they know that, you know, their GPUs will get – you know, uh, <laughs> will be combined with the CPU and the rest of the components mm-hmm. in the system. So I think the limitation is literally the the amount of power that the U.S. household can output through a socket. <laughs> so um, that that's how we have to look at it, right? Like, I mean... So like about 1,800 watts if you have a crazy good power supply. Well, it's not just the power supply. It's just the actual yeah. physical outlet before you start tripping breakers. Like... I mean, man, we've sold, you know, three-way SLI systems in the past that would trip breakers. <laughs> like, <laughs> Do you remember which, which card it was? I believe it was the GX480, I believe. Well, that was the craziest one. But is that, I, I'm just wondering what's, how do I put this? 
the lowest TDP triple SLI systems you sold where you got calls about tripping a breaker? Like, did it also happen with a 580? Does it just happen in general if there was a triple card system? I, I think it, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, and this, look, this, these are corner cases in older homes, right, that are probably, you know, little, you know just the electrical system is probably aging or whatever, but... And if um, I may, power supplies are way better now, too. Back, I think you've got to remember that when you say, oh, I've got a 400-watt GPU, I've got a 200-watt CPU, and then I add 100 watts. It's like, yes, yeah, so now you're at, like, what, 700 watts there. But keep in mind that the power supply isn't perfectly efficient. So you actually, even if it's a high-quality power supply, you need to add 10% to that to how much it's pulling from the wall. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah. It's not perfectly it's, it's efficient. Way more Back efficient then, now. though... They were like 70% efficient half the time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, less efficient power supplies. Now, uh, obviously, if you're either building or if you're buying that caliber of, of PC, well, you can't even buy three-way SLI anyway, right? So, or right. even SLI, but it doesn't. But if you were to buy something like that, you would probably assume that the person building that type of system would, you know, get the best power supply they can, right? Like a really highly efficient power supply. Uh, or the the system integrator would would make sure that they ship you a really good power supply with something like that of that caliber. So, but um, yeah, I mean, look back to your question was really the limitation is the amount of power that can be outputted from your socket. <laughs> that's I think that's the ceiling. <laughs> well, yeah, my my biggest concern though with that is okay. Let's say your you you know your system's using a thousand watts, eleven hundred after the power supply factor uh, for efficiency. Oh, yeah, okay, but what if you have a monitor that uses 100 watts? Most monitors don't, but plenty of high-end ones do. Oh. And what if you also have a TV on in the room? Do you have a window air conditioner? Probably, if it's a, power, a graphics card using that much energy. Oh. Like That's the thing that I wonder about is not so much just pulling from one thing. Like, a breaker. Yeah, I remember at my parents' house, they had some, for some reason, wherever they decided to plug in this Christmas tree, inflatable christmas tree that was out front this last holiday season <laughs> like when they had that on and the speakers and a big tv on they started tripping one of the breakers and i was like oh yeah that's an inflatable tree it inflates with a fan wait it's just like you have a vacuum cleaner on 24 7 how much energy are you guys wasting with this 50 dollar christmas decoration in terms of energy all day and it's like it's stuff like that like if, well, if someone turns on a vacuum well like because you have to think it's probably not like 1800 watts for the whole pc that's the limit the limit's probably like 500 600 below that for most rooms actually so i i do think that there's a limit at about 600 watts even just for pulling from the wall we would we would hope that would be the you know the mindset <laughs> and then the thought process but but yeah i mean look uh it's it's um you know i, I was just obviously you know speaking holistically here right like uh my point is, is I, I don't think I don't think there is a hardcore limitation right now as to uh, how much wattage you know their their GPU can consume. If there's a market for it, and if there's a market that's willing to pay for a five or six hundred watt GPU, and it, if that GPU performs, I think Nvidia has the right, or AMD has the right to design something like that to uh, mm -hmm. to to satisfy the market. Well, at the very least, what we can say is, if you had a triple four eighty system, GTX four eighty tripping uh breakers that that card used like 320 watts i believe and but in sli typically they're at like 90 percent usage so i think the limit is definitely at least at most a thousand then <laughs> i think we can yeah. just say from your experience there um 
This piece of content is brought to you by XRE Art. XRE Art frames disassembled phones, handheld consoles, and other electronics to create incredibly cool discussion pieces for enthusiasts. These pieces include iPhones, PSPs, Game Boys, Apple Watches, old Nokias, and more. XRE Art also sells the tools, frames, and templates for you to do it yourself and donates half a percent of each purchase to NGOs for environmental protection projects, which, yeah, they aren't throwing these devices in landfills, guys. They're actually using them in a sustainable way. And looking at a piece of XRE Art in person, it's really cool. And you can support Moore's Law is Dead by clicking on the link in the description and using the offer code BROKENSILICON to save 10% off on your order. Support this cool company and support Moore's Law is Dead by buying XRE Art today. All right. Tired Gaming Dad writes in. He says, hi, Tom and Wallace. Main Gear is a brand I've been looking at for over 10 years. Up until lately, I've always enjoyed building my own PC, though. The builds are just very pretty and clean on your website. What are your thoughts, though, about the Steam Deck versus desktop versus laptop in general? I'm still waiting on my Steam Deck here in quarter two, and it looks like it might be and I'd really like it for when I travel for work. If the Steam Deck slash SteamOS really take off, unlike the previous Debian-based SteamOS years back, would Main Gear look into making their own version of a Steam Deck? Any thoughts as to what hardware screen size type you'd want to see in the next version or in a Main Gear deck? Thank you both. And, and yeah, I think that's worth pointing out. I mean, now then people ask me like, oh, could this Intel APU be used in the Steam Deck? And I'm like, they use AMD. And then I remember, oh yeah, it's an open standard. Anyone according to Valve, can make a Steam Deck. So is that something you guys have thought about? Yes. We actually, you know, evaluated designs. Um, you know, I'm going to call it like Switch-like designs. Um, for years now, it's always been, honestly, like a, like a, mm -hmm. a dream before of mine. Before the Steam Deck, even. Before the Steam Deck, yeah. We, we've actually, we have, we have actually working samples here and prototypes here in our office mm -hmm. that are older than, based on Intel, actually. <laughs> yeah, probably Tiger-like ones and, and Ice-like, um, maybe. And what prevented us from always moving forward was uh, was the experience, right? That uh, that the user would 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 get when they actually received the product. And and hardware aside, it was really the 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 the, the OS experience, right? Like it just does not make any sense to ship a device like that with Windows in it. And if there's one mm. company in the world that can actually create a a portable gaming device like that, it would be Valve because they can they can control right. They can control the experience from beginning to end. So, the hardware, yes, uh, which can be done, but then the software, right? So, like um, you know, the fact that they're using a custom version of Linux, um, you know, it requires very little keyboard or mouse input, right? So, mm -hmm. like in our version that we had our working prototypes here, you know, we had the, the control sticks to act as a virtual mouse. Uh, in Windows, and it just sucked, man. I'm like, there's no yeah. way we're gonna launch this as a product, and this person is gonna like get this and 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 have a good experience. So we ended up just canning it. So um, we're we're you know we're gonna we're gonna basically um, wait a little bit and see how the market reacts. Um, and I'm hoping I'm crossing my fingers that it'll be very successful. Mm -hmm. So more designs from company like like mine and, and others will, will come out in the market in the future. Uh, but but yes, like Valve does have it is open source, so we can uh, ship Steam Steam OS. We we haven't spoken to them recently about it, but um, um, it's it's uh, you know I I love it. I personally love you know the the way the Steam Deck came out, and I think it's a great first attempt. I'm I'm, I'm crossing my fingers that it's going to continue to be a success and that we we can actually innovate in that space. But you know, from a Windows standpoint, we just can't ship 
Um, mm-hmm. That 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 design with Windows just doesn't work. Or you know, the other dream would be that Microsoft would finally you know open up and 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 it would wake up and smell the coffee and let us ship Xbox OS. Oh, don't get me started. I do not know why <laughs> they haven't tried that yet. You know, right? I, I think it's a huge untapped opportunity for them um, mm-hmm. to you know by allowing us to ship Xbox OS, you know. And, and just a, a strict gaming device uh, with, with, you know, with control, control sticks, that would be, I think it would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that always is the problem, right? Like when I've looked at reviews where there are, I, I mean, I remember a watch one recently on Linus Tech Tips where they were looking at it. And it's just like at the end of the day, in its perfect implementation, one of those Tiger Lake portable devices was really cool, but half of the games just had issues. It was a nightmare to control the UI from the desktop. And it's like, and also they're not that small all the time. Sometimes those like kind of Kickstarter ones are, but it's like at a certain point, it's not that much more portable than a laptop. I really, I don't know. I really wish there was more innovation. I I, I agree. I just it's it's the operating system that would really allow it. Yeah, it's it's that's what's holding us back from actually innovating in those form factors right now. All right, so I've got one final discussion point here that I had to bring up, and I, and I actually made. A whole list because I I just wanted to kind of remind myself even what's about to happen here to this market. I'm going to read it because this is my, and I think this is all correct. I I don't know if I had like one, but this is basically what when I believe these products are launching over the next two years. Over the next two years, meaning we're in quarter two, 2022. So I mean, until, you know, like 2020, early 2024. So two years from this quarter. All right. In, In quarter two or three, we're getting Intel Alchemist finally. And then quarter three this year, we're getting Intel Raptor Lake. In quarter three this year, we're getting NVIDIA Lovelace, I believe. In quarter three, four this year, we're getting Zen 4. In quarter four this year, we're getting RDNA 3. In quarter one or two of next year, I'll have a leak coming about it soon. We're going to get Intel Meteor Lake, not just in laptop, by the way, probably. And then in quarter three and four of next year, we'll get Zen 5. Quarter four of next year, we'll get Arrow Lake next to Zen 5. Quarter four of next year, we should get Intel Battle Mage. And then in quarter one of the following year, we'll get RDNA 4, and I would presume a quarter after that, we'll get NVIDIA Blackwell. Is this, that's 11, I count here, major architecture releases in two years. And just to put that in perspective for everybody, because you, you need the perspective. In 2020, we had Ampere, RDNA 2, Zen 3, Comet Lake, arguably Tiger Lake 2. If you count Tiger Lake, that's five major releases in 2020, a year that most people say was one of the craziest years of hardware ever. We're gonna get double more than double. Like I, what? Well, I wonder if you have any thoughts on how many releases are coming down the pipeline? Because it's like every quarter. Is there even one quarter where we're gonna miss? I guess Meteor Lake may have a little space to itself, but other, but it's gonna be next to RDNA three launches, anyways. It seems like every quarter we're getting two major releases over the next two years. I. We'll love to comment on the releases. <laughs> I, I don't need you to comment on if it's I, true or not, but it, I'm more asking, like, is this going to change how you think about, like, uh, honestly, because this is a lot to keep track of if you run a business that sells these products. Yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of what we do. Um, we are going to make sure that we qualify the products, and we're going to make sure that um, we're ready and we're time to market uh, whenever there's a new release of a, of a new GPU, CPU, uh, or a piece of silicon. So, um, you know, it, 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 that's actually hard for the bigger guys, right? Like the, the, the tier one OEMs like HP and Dell, mm. that's probably more difficult for them. 
but for for a company like Main Gear, um, we're very swift, right? Like we're we're testing everything, uh, you know, in a timely manner, and we're going to be time to market with whatever gets released. Well, you know, I remember talking to a counterpart at one of the major OEMs. I guess I won't say which one, but you know, it's 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 a it's as big as Lenovo or or HP or whatever, you know. Um, like he said that they just skipped. Uh, what was it? Rocket Lake, <laughs> because it was so close. It was in between Alder Lake. Came out the same year as Alder Lake, technically. Comet Lake was six months before it. They didn't think Rocket Lake was really worth it, so they just skipped Rocket Lake. Like, and a lot of companies did do that too. I noticed. Um, like when you see this, you know, like so, it's like so what? We're getting Zen Four the end of this year with Raptor Lake, and then half a year after that, we're gonna get Meteor Lake already. Like, is there gonna be a point where you're like, you know what? We're only carrying Zen 4, and we're going to skip Raptor Lake and do Meteor Lake on laptop. I'm wondering if you've thought about if that will make any sense, especially, too, now, because we're going to get a third GPU manufacturer. Well, allegedly, it's still not out, really. but And that might even complicate things more. Yeah, I, I, look, look if, it, if, it, if it makes sense, we're going to carry it, um, unless there's, like, uh, some type of issue or you know, there's some type of, like, weird overlap or something between the product stacks, but... Um, you know, my, my goal here is to make sure that I am time to market with the latest and greatest, uh, with a, a very well qualified, very well designed and engineered product on our website with, you know, with whatever is exciting that's on the market. Yeah. And it's interesting you say the giant OEMs have the bigger problem is it's just because it's such high volume. They really, and they make their own motherboards and so that slows it down. So they really need to verify so many custom parts. Is that one? Their, their, their processes are different, yeah. Uh, very different than ours, right? I mean, we're carrying off-the-shelf components and everything that we're selling. We're not customizing anything. So, like, uh, for a Tier 1 guy to to actually move swiftly, it's nearly impossible, right? They, they you know, there's also, because they're, 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 they're launching custom motherboards, there's different types of testing, like the mm -hmm. MI testing and everything else that goes along with it, and that takes a ton of time. So, like, and Linus case, ran into issues with... Dell's motherboards firmware too, you know, so that that's a, it isn't easy to test well either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like, um, it, it's, it's just a different product. You know, we're, we're buying components that we're already, that were already qualified and tested and have the proper certifications from day one. Right. So, um, so, you know, we're not in the motherboard business. We're in the, you know, system mm -hmm. integration business and we're going to continue to stay there. But, um, but yeah, like I said, it's, uh, you know, uh, that's the value that we bring to the table as well is to make sure that we sell a high quality product, you know, that we're time to market with a very high quality product. Well, I mean, I, honestly, another part of this question for, or this discussion for me here is, are you excited, man? I mean, I think, look at this, look at the competition, look at how many releases. It's going to be hard for me to keep track of. And it's my job. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, I think like, I, I really think we're going to get a quadrupling of performance in about two and a half from now, whatever is out, we will have things four times better because I just, none of these generations I'm told aren't decent upgrades. So if you see that many innovations in two years, I think it's going to feel like the nineties again. I'm very stoked. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm super excited just because competition is good. You know, everybody wins, you know, the businesses win, the consumer wins, there's choices, right? It seems like this, uh, you know, the, 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 the supply chain issue will resolve itself by mm -hmm. by 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 then as well. I'll probably so, have a video come out before this podcast that goes into that. I, that's another thing. Just jump not to cut you off, but like I, I really think people 
the supply chain thing is gonna it's gonna get way better this summer i believe especially early summer it's already getting better i mean we Mm -hmm. we we see it already so like um yeah it's you know good times ahead ahead right like we're, we're 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 pumped uh and and like i said i feel very fortunate that you know, till today, I still do what I love, and uh, and you know, and we're, and we're held in high regard by you know by the community, which is great. All right, man. Well, that's all I had here on the discussion list. We got through it in a somewhat timely manner, I think. Um, is there anything else you want to discuss? Ask me. Bring up. I mean, we can talk about anything you want a little bit. Uh, I don't. Is there anything we didn't cover that you thought we would or? Uh, no, I, I, you know, amazing questions. Uh, they're very well put together. Uh, and you know, your community too, it seems like these guys are hardcore about the, about the space. So it's, uh, they're very detailed. So yeah, I, like I said, I just appreciate the, the fact that, you know, you took some time to, to speak with me and, um, I'm looking forward to, to, uh, hearing the podcast over when, when it goes live. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, it's, at least I've found for myself, just talking to a different groups of people that actually work on this stuff gets you out of a bubble of thought so that you actually think differently. And I really appreciated getting the insight from you being in charge of one of these larger companies, especially one that actually gets good reviews on like some of the others. That was really good uh, to be able to talk to you. I mean, we're dancing around it then. Go ahead and pl- I'm, I assume you have one website to plug before you get off, right? Sure, sure. Uh, definitely uh, visit www.maingear.com, right? And uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, just look for Santos underscore Wallace with, with two L's. And um, yeah, if you have any questions, just hit me up. All right. Well, thanks again for coming on. Thanks, everybody, for listening. You know, go to uh, your podcast app of choice, subscribe, subscribe on 10 phones at once so we get do- 10 times the downloads. <laughs> Give us some reviews. That really does help. And of course, subscribe to the Moore's Laws at YouTube channel and look for the Patreon. So, uh, all right, everybody. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Laws Dead. Moore's Laws Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law's Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Law's Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, 
If you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it, and so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Mellon, Drita Fole, A.V., Anthony Greffa, Greg Pataki, Mohamed Al-Kharari, Brett Jones, Aaron Close, BBC 6800 XD, Big Sexy, Jan Rauner, Daniel Hyde, Ivan K., Brian Riggleman, Joaquin Hagen, Sam Miller, Deke, Thomas Rupp, The Mechanical Philosopher, Terrence Herod, SNES Calmers, Tom Bailey, Greg T. Wachuk, Andrew S., Dane Galinowski, Daniel D., MJB1, Eric Jackson, Justice Brennan, Sammy Good, Valko Malev, The Boss Haas, I Love You, Lennon Jim, Spam G, Spam Jim, Jonathan, Jeremy So, General Drips, Blake, Franco Frederick, Matthew Lazier, Jensen Wang, Nathan Mose, Azuriz, Gregory S. Acker, Dominique Cock, Jake Dude 23, Jake Martin, My Name is Nobody, Caillou Mark Kelly, Hardforum.com, Original Ross Licky, Stefan, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Christopher A. Butler, Jeremy Scalen, Sarcastro, Stefan Hart, Jason B. Mead and Pork Stew, Tim Robb, Luis Correa, Ian Clifford, Jesse Jaskowiak, Travis Gooding, Holden Mobley, Nanyan, Chris Rich, Deepest Learners, Mad, Zutsu Taylor, Stephen Coates, Michael Magee, Benjamin Oshley, Sammy Malas, Greg, Ah Trini, Patrick Grow, Amiable Chief, Brett Summersdale, Russell, Arcane 311, Tommy, Kundin, Brucha, Mark Mitchell, John Wissink, Delmain, Peterson, James Anderson, Y. Truey, Mark Raidmaker, Falling from Sky, 3DS, Boy08, Hal Buma, Narethiel, Matthew Landavazo, Stefan Kaladic, Henry Zhang, Judson N, F7, GOS, The Grid, Michelle Pell, D31337, Antics, Silvanos, Noah Nicuela, Hexapuma, Chrysantine, Powell, Zegartowski, Zavebeat, 03, DSIS, Thomas, A. Tief, Jean DeBont, DNA Tech, 50C Desert, Axel Ciceros, Royce Mayer, Charles Russell, Reginald R.E., M-O-R-F-1-U-S, Teak Autumn, Jackson Miller, Jess M.M.H., Sandy Garrido Saunderson, David Eastland, Fire Falcon on YouTube, Andra at Jacques, Gaiman since Reagan, Jeff Sedler, Eric Osborne, Lupo, Winstar, Joker, James I. Rauner, Corey Leonard, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. <laughs>